With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's Mason and welcome back to Anime Attic. This is the show where we go into our attics and blow the dust off of old, forgotten anime that people don't really know about anymore or don't follow and doesn't get promoted, but there's so much good stuff that it's just awesome and worth it to to bring it back and then talk about it and hopefully uh, get some more people aware and able to see it. Today with me is... Hi, it's Zara. And Zara is an amazing Hollywood voice actress and also a noted Japanese theater scholar and... Uh, I don't know, just awesome person overall. Oh, Mason, you flatter me. Yes, I try. And today we're going to talk about one of my absolute, positively amazing, most favorite animes ever that I wish more people knew about. It's Vampire Princess Miyu. And if I can get specific, it's Vampire Princess Miyu, the original video animation, the OVA series. Originally, it was an OVA. It started as an OVA. And then it became a manga, and then it became a TV series that ran for 26 episodes. But in each iteration of those, it changed slightly. And I was introduced in the OVAs, and it, they literally changed my life. It There are four episodes, and the art direction, the music, the character design, the voice acting in Japanese was so mind-blowing. <laughs> we'll talk about the dub yeah, later. I mean, the sub versus dub debate is, is intense, but here's some evidence on, on my side. I'm a, I'm a sub guy, a subtitle guy. Anyway, <laughs> but let me, uh, <laughs> but yeah, let me, let me start talking about it. Um, Zara, any thoughts in general? Oh, just, I was so, I had never seen um, any of this before the, the OVA, the series, or read the manga. So I was just so excited to watch Vampire Princess Miyu, um, for the first time. So for me, you know, the, it was came out, what, 1988, Yeah, it came out in 1988, and it, it was by a husband and wife uh, team. They The director was Hirano Toshiki, I think. He, he changed his name, but it was, it's Hirano Toshiki. And he's a famous anime director who did a lot of his own projects, but this was uh, a passion project that he did. And then his wife, who also was the character designer mm. and the lead artist, was... Uh, Kakinochi Narumi, and this catapulted her career. She did the character designs on this, and then everybody was like, these character designs are beautiful, and we want to hire you for all this other stuff. And to briefly talk about it, I found out while doing research for this episode that primarily they started in uh, lemon uh, forms, uh, very uh, soft, softcore adult hentai stuff. Oh, the creators did? Yeah, oh. which that that's like where they started. They started running a softcore adult uh, lemon manga. Not to be confused with Lemon Party. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you know why it's called Lemon? I have no I'm idea. I'm not sure. All right. I didn't know if maybe you'd, you'd come across that. 
the other thing that I discovered was, uh, yeah, they ran in a, a manga called Lemon People. Anyway, this series, I have always had a soft spot in my heart for vampires. I find that most mm. people in the world kind of break down into two, two camps, or I guess maybe three. So there's vampires and zombies and werewolves. Mm. And usually people are kind of more passionate about one of those. Vampires, zombies, or werewolves. Yeah. I always use this analogy. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to be in film? And people are like, nah, you know, I don't know about that. You know, you're, you're a sketchy, arty guy. Like, you know, maybe maybe it's going to be a bad movie. And then you're like, oh, it's a vampire movie. And they're just like, how much money do you need? Like, I want to be in it right now. Uh, or you say, or these days, it's, oh, it's a zombie, zombie. movie. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, yeah, I'll take off of work for that. And then you're like, all right, great. <laughs> and then it's like, or it's a werewolf movie. So totally. Or like getting people jazzed to see a certain genre. Like, I give a, I don't give a flying feline about zombies. But if someone says, hey, watch this vampire thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm into that. Blood. Cool. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. So Vampire Princess, you always already had a leg up on me on that. And I saw it, oh, man, I want to say like 20 years ago. Wow. And it literally uh, shaped my life. I, I was so deeply influenced by the art design and the character design and the use of sound effects. The sound design in this anime is amazing. I, it, if you don't watch this anime for any other reason, I recommend just checking out the sound design. There are sound effects in it, which I found out for budget reasons were basically stock versions, stock sound effects in Japan. And so a bunch of different animes use them, but I've never seen any of them used to such masterful effect as I did in the Vampire vs. Mew, the OVAs. The The sound effects are used so wonderfully. And then later, my friends and I would watch uh, just you know, anime in general, anything else, and, and a sound effect that we'd heard before would come up and we'd say, oh, that's a Mew sound effect. You know, and it became kind of a game that we would do. We would always like listen, and, and if there was a sound effect that was from Mew, because there are, there's a lot. There's the pouring water, there's the screechy metal, there's the breaking glass, there's the um, the wooden. I can't remember the name of that one, but uh, or there's the bamboo uh, filling in with the water and then tipping into the bucket uh... or whatever. And the pouring water, and I think I already mentioned that. Anyway, a lot of water uh, and blood, water liquid and blood. energy. Yeah, so, yeah, I was gonna say that's why. Yeah. Anyway, but um, Sarah's right. The reason that this is such a great episode is because it is a vampire series, and it focuses on a girl who's a vampire, and she basically is. So there are these creatures called Shinma, which are part god, part demon, and they're kind of evil or whatever. But they. They used to be constant in ancient times. That's where you get all these tales of Babylonian gods being giant monsters that eat everyone. And they decided to relinquish the earthly world to the humans. And they went into this place called the the Dark, which is essentially another dimension. And and they slumber there. And Miyu is a half Shinma, half human. So she's, you know, kind of like Blade, you know, half vampire, whatever. But she's from a line of Shinma that were designated to be defenders. Guardians. Of guardians, yeah. Guardians of the Shinma so that the Shinma don't wake up or their, their sleep is undisturbed until the proper time. And so what ends up happening is if a Shinma does wake up and get into the earthly world, she's tasked with hunting it down and either killing it or returning it to the dark. One of the ways that she does this is she has a companion with her named Larva. Larva. Yeah. 
who is this very attractive man. Very attractive, even though he wears a mask most of the time. Yeah, but that, but the mask is so mask cool. mask makes him attractive. Yeah, it's so cool. I love... <laughs> Strong, silent type. Yeah, well, his voice was sealed away, which I thought was a wonderful cost-saving measure from a, <laughs> from a production Touché. standpoint. Um, yeah, I think one of the reasons that I'm so impressed with this anime is they did it on apparently a super, super tight budget, mm-hmm. and it's better than a lot of the stuff. And you that... can tell that it's done on a super tight budget, but it doesn't detract from it. it, it the simplicity adds to it. Yeah, because that's like the vibe yeah. of the whole thing. It's, it's all very simple, and the writing is fantastic. There's four episodes to the OVAs. Every episode is essentially a morality play, mm. which I have a, I've always been very intrigued by morality plays because when you start getting into the gray areas of what's right and what's wrong, it really makes you think. And I think that the, the entire point of film and literature and stories is to, to get people to think, to reevaluate what they currently know, and to either upgrade it or change it or to To ask yourself the hard questions yes and one of the things that i think miu does excellently is just that like one of the basic questions is so miu as a vampire can grant eternal life if you are a human and you willingly offer her your blood which you want to because she's super hot even though she's like i don't know 14 13 13 (laughs) but i don't know if she's super hot mason but the the mystique all right all right i i you're right to each their own yeah okay fair enough Whatever, you like Akio. <laughs> but uh, but uh, she's a very strong female character. She's she's wise beyond her years because she is like, I don't know, 200 years old or something. Um, well, that's an interesting question, actually. We'll get this when we talk about her origin story, which sure. that last episode oh, that man, deals with that, origin yeah, is so, so great. Um, I was having trouble understanding when that came about. Like... I, I read it happened in pre like post-World War II Japan. Yeah. But then another account says, oh, it happened in like pre-war empire japan yeah there's well the there's different versions there's the tv version Mm. and the ova version and then the manga version Uh, so you i don't know you can kind of take your pick i think the ova version is is post-world war ii because it's um it interacts with my favorite character of the show himiko yeah it crosses over with her back yeah so let's yeah so let's let's get into it so i what i'd like to do is um talk about each episode there's four episodes and the first thing that i noticed when i first watched it was that each episode represented a season Mm. um so it starts in summer and then goes to fall and then goes to winter and then goes to spring and i thought that was a wonderful visual representation of of just the story because in Mm -hmm. each in each episode you learn different aspects of miyu but yeah it all starts with himiko who is a spiritualist. A spiritualist, sort of a paranormal investigator slash healer. Yeah, and the way that the OVAs work is that she gets uh, invited or asked to do these jobs. Mm-hmm. Which and- she doesn't make a lot of money doing it. I love how that's her opening speech. She's like, it's hard li- making a living in this kind of work, but... <laughs> yeah, because it's so obscure. Like, <laughs> who hires a spiritualist in these days? But yeah, I also liked it because it was kind of a, it was a really good introduction for the audience if you don't know anything about spiritualism or mysticism, particularly Asian mysticism or spiritualism, like here was your here was your character that you could follow, and mm-hmm. she and she kind of explained everything. And then by contrast, how Miyu played against everything that she knew. Yes, ethically as well. As well, which is awesome. I mean, that goes into the the morality play. I also just want to point out that yeah. it's set in Kyoto, the first three episodes. Yeah, um, which is. 
the traditional capital of Japan and so much of, you know, when you think about religion and spirituality and mysticism, you think about Kyoto. And so I'll, we'll talk about that later, how the, the Kyoto is a good backdrop for these paranormal stories. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to talk about that. So uh, it's in Kyoto. It's in the summertime. Right. And, and it starts with a vampire attack. There is a vampire who attacked a girl in a park. And well, that, that doesn't really summon Himiko. But <laughs> what, there's a girl who pricked her finger on a rose and fell asleep for 100 days. And the parents have like summoned. Like you do. Like you yeah, do. Yeah. You know. And then so the parents have summoned Himiko. But when she arrives, she arrives in the middle of this vampire that's attacking uh, random women. Yeah. Oh, how subtle and cool was that dress? So the, one of the vampire's victims is this woman who works in a, a kimono shop. And yeah. essentially she hears like a rustle. She turns around. You, we have a still frame of the window because they don't have the budget to animate it. Right. Well, a car drives by. And the car drives by. <laughs> the window cracks and then you flash, they flash to her lying dead on the ground and with no spectacle, they just move to it. So, you know, I just thought that was so cool. And it uh, really yeah. caught me off guard. Yeah, absolutely. It was very shocking. And it was very effective. Because mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's that's supernatural. That's awesome. You didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. You heard the glass crack. You see the glass crack. And then boom, she's gone. And the guy comes back. Shop owner guy? The shop owner guy. The kimono shop owner guy was like, I'll be right back. And yep. then he leaves. And then boom, it happens. And he comes back. He's like, oh, my God. And then it's the police. And they're like, whoa, her body's been drained of blood. That's a, that's effective storytelling, man. Mm. <laughs> like, good job. So into all of this, Himiko comes and she goes and investigates the little girl who uh, is asleep. Himiko realizes that she is possessed. It's legit. And she identifies it as a fox spirit, which was really cool to me because I'd never, at the time that I was watching it, other cultures' mysticism had never entered my purview. I was ah. I was a Western guy, an American. I knew about ghosts and vampires from my point of view, but I'd never seen any from japan or anything like that you know it never occurred to me that oh yeah there's other culture oh yeah (laughs) there's other aspects that you can take on this i mean obviously in today's internet world you know culture cross permeates Mm -hmm. everything but Mm -hmm. this was pre-internet yeah yeah it's pre-internet for sure and well it was bbs you could you could dial up boards on dial up and download jpegs that would take 10 minutes or something but one of the things that i thought was really interesting was miyu had gold eyes that was apparently a japanese vampire trait if you're a vampire you have gold eyes and if you Watch the OVA. She has gold eyes, but only when she's about to feed or when she's in vampire form. When she's in her schoolgirl or normal form, she has brown eyes. Ah. Because if you look at the gold eyes and you're a victim, you get transfixed. Mm. But that plays into episode four where she tries it on Himiko and it doesn't work. And the question is, why not? And Uh. that's kind of a hint. As thing. to what happened between them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's it's great. And I definitely want to give a shout out real quick to the voice acting. The voice acting was amazing in the OVAs. Miyu is voiced by Naoko Watanabe, and she's just amazing. She is hands down this ageless, wise, capricious vibe of delivery that just perfectly captures the character of Miu. Miu is essentially a 13-year-old girl, mm. although she's wise behind her years and has kind of been stuck around for who knows how long. <laughs> and then uh, 
Himiko, the woman who plays Himiko is Mami Koyama is amazing mm. as well. Like I can't I can't deny that. And Shinma Ranka, which, well, we'll get into that episode two, but anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so Himiko, she goes to see the sleeping girl, and she determines that she is possessed, but she can't wake her up, so she leaves, and then while she's leaving... And she apologizes to the parents, too, and she's like, I can't take money, because I've failed in doing this. Exactly, I'll forego my fee, which I thought was a classy move, Himiko, (laughs) like, good job. It's good establishing her as sympathetic, too. And also honest. Yeah, you instantly like her. Yeah, I do. She's very practical. I was... For some bizarre reason, I really bonded with her coming in from the airport. Yeah, that's right. Like she comes in from the airport and... To see people that aren't moving. Right, of course. To pan across a stuff. But it's tinted because she's wearing sunglasses. Uh, And then she takes it off. We are literally, the audience, through her view. Yeah, POV. We're her point of view. Yeah, she's like, oh man, it's really hot. And then this cab is like, hey, how about a ride? But of course not moving. (laughs) It's just a a horn honk. She checks her wallet and she's like... All right, I'll do it. (laughs) She's so real, y'all. You're real. Like, you're a legit struggling spiritualist, and I'm sorry. And she's very attractive, but I thought it was very interesting that they never deal with any romance. There's no real romance for her in this series. Other than her calling a, you know, 14-year-old boy a cutie. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's coming. (laughs) We'll talk about that in, in episode two. But yeah, she's leaving the house that she can't raise the girl from and she walks outside and there's this boy there and he's got a knife and he's like i'm gonna kill the vampire and the big reveal is that spoilers his girlfriend was the first victim of the vampire and he saw it go into that house so he's like i'm gonna kill it so she starts talking to the kid and she's like yeah i've been hearing about these vampires that are attacking and what's going on and all this stuff so he's like i'm gonna go to the park tonight and i'm gonna hunt the vampire and she's like all right i'll help you so they go and they're expecting uh, the vampire, but who they run into is Miu, who is also hunting the vampire because it's a stray Shinma. And I thought, what a fantastic introduction. I mean, she appears, she's on top of the arch, she's mm-hmm. got larva with her. And she, she like jumps in and saves, like, is it she or larva who jump in? Like, the vampire's about to suck uh, Himiko's blood, like, the vampire's about to attack her. Oh, remember? Yeah. And then all You're of a right. sudden it's it's both of them larva jumps in and, larva and like jumps in his, cuts yeah. his cuts the shinma's cape or whatever but yeah. but miyu's kind of overwatching everything mm-hmm. and, and it's like and then she like taunts himiko yeah and, and she's like i really don't think you should get more involved in this and and you know and it's just it's a younger girl taunting an older woman and it's a very interesting dynamic and one of the things that i love about this ova series is the dialogue is so on point mm. like and the voice acting really uh delivers it super super well in the japanese version um and I, I really admired that. I thought Mew gave a, a wonderful sense of agelessness and wisdom. You instantly want to believe everything she says. And you also get the sense that she's incredibly powerful and supernatural. That you're kind of, when you're dealing with her, you're kind of in this other dimension. I admired that. I was very charmed by it. It's amazing that those elements, you know, actor's performance, mm-hmm. sound, art design in that limited budget can give you little character details like how powerful storytelling doesn't need a lot of bells and whistles to convey and really give the audience a sense yeah, of who these need, characters are and paint robots. the world like something like her voice paints the picture of the world she comes from for you 
Sure. Like, it's really powerful and, and good. Yeah, you don't need exploding robots. Michael Bay. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not going to name <laughs> names, but yeah. Also, I just want to say this anime passes the Bechdel test like, whoa. You have, you know, are you familiar oh, with the Bechdel test? Yeah, this is, uh, you can explain it, but it's. it's well, a- it's, it's named after Alison Bechdel, who is this amazing cartoonist. She wrote Dykes to Watch Out For, but what really propelled her into fame was her memoirs that she wrote about each of her parents. But she, uh, this test was coined after one of the strips she had written in Dykes to Watch Out For, where a couple characters were talking about what does it take for a movie to, you know, pass a test, essentially. And that's, are there, are there more than one female character? Right. One. Two, do they talk to each other? Right. And three, if they do interact and talk to each other, do they talk to each other about something that's not a man? Right. Um, and so you have these two main female characters that are talking to each other and discussing like the ethics of the issues and the morals that they're facing and coming into coming to blows with each other. You know, it's it's really great. And it caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting yeah, that and, um, two strong female leads. Right. And if I could briefly throw it back, I mean, Utana also passes the, oh, uh, yeah. the, the back delta. Although they do talk about well, guys a lot. Well, they do. <laughs> <laughs> that whole show is about relationships. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think... Obviously, as a as a kid when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of strong female mm, uh, roles. in that time period, late eighties. In, yeah. in the eighties, no man, it was it was all the guy, the super powerful guy saves the girl and she loves him forever, and that was kind of the deal. I, again, I think one of the things that Mew really, really affected in me was that here is a girl who, on the surface, is you know powerless and small and tiny, and yet she basically runs the show. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you're. You're intrigued by her. And, and of course, her whole relationship with Himiko, what is their relationship? And because what ends up happening is Himiko kind of becomes sort of becomes obsessed with Miyu. Mm-hmm. Like she's seeing her everywhere. Yeah. Well, everywhere is every couple of months. But she's always looking for her. Like Once she finds out that she exists, that that Shinma are real and stuff, she it changes her worldview. And then she starts taking jobs because she thinks Miyu might show up. So mm. some guy comes and he's like, oh, you know, I, I think there's a ghost over here. And she's like, eh, whatever. And then this guy's like, oh, yeah, I think my daughter turned into a doll. And she's like, Miyu might be there. I'm going to go check that out. <laughs> so. But a lot of it is like, I, I got to go there because I want to stop Miyu from doing whatever she's about to do. Yeah. Because it's, again, their fundamental disagreement on human lives. Yeah. And this is this is awesome to me. And I, I'm, d- I'm glad you brought that up. The In the first episode, it establishes their antagonistic relationship because, spoiler, the girl who's asleep has been possessed by Shinma. And the Shinma is basically making her dreams a reality but in return, stealing her life, which is why she's kind of dreaming about this vampire, because she views herself as a vampire for for reasons that you should watch the show. But anyway, when Miyu rids her of the Shinma possession, she'll die. Mm -hmm. And so Miyu's answer to this is, I can give her eternal life. I'll turn her into a vampire. But Himiko sees that she's about to bite the girl and runs in and is like, no, and grabs her from Mm. Miyu and, quote, saves her, quote, and I think one of my absolute favorite moral quandaries at the end mm. is after, in a very visually spectacular and stylistically awesome fashion, Miu has sealed the Shinma away, the offending Shinma Ra'en. And then the girl, Himiko, is like, well, what about this girl? She's going to die. And uh, Miu is like, yeah, well, I could have uh, prevented that, but you interfered. Mm-hmm. So, you know eat it (laughs) is it better to let the person die or to give them let them live but with they're now a vampire right and that yeah shell of themselves perhaps perhaps that that comes into four later 
but and that's a that's another deep issue. But this is the first time that the dual side of an ideal situation had ever been presented to me. So earlier in the show, the guy who lost his girlfriend, he's like consumed by grief. Miu, who always likes beautiful victims, <laughs> sees him as he's in the park trying to hunt the the vampire. And she goes and, and she's like, I can give you eternal life in a, in a dream world. You'll be happy. And this mm. kind of happens off camera. But the guy is like, yeah, anything to get rid of this grief. Because he's so consumed with grief that his girlfriend, who was the first victim. So she does. She feeds off him and gives him eternal life. And he goes into this kind of trance-like stupor where he just sits on a swing all day. But he doesn't age anymore. But he's eternally happy. Mm. And so Himiko sees this and is like, you're a monster. That is horrendous and I can't believe it. And the Miu is like, all right, A, I have to live. I need to drink blood just as much as you need to eat or mm-hmm. breathe. Mm-hmm. And B, he was so consumed with grief that he asked me and now he's eternally happy. Who's right? Drop the yeah. mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> like, Gosh. That blew my mind. I was like, who is right? Who doesn't want to live yeah. forever? And that's and kind of a Is it better a to be theme. a slave but always happy? Or is it better to be aware and suffering your entire exactly. life? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. It's it's a tough one, man. And it's something that I I really identified with as a as a teenager. And it's also the whole, you know, what justifies the evil, you know, do, the evil of you know, evil quote unquote of drinking someone's blood to live so then you can go on and fight and kill things that are going to hurt more people. Like, you know, what... It's tough, right? Yeah. Like, it was a fascinating experiment to me. That relationship, that that kind of antagonistic relationship is what drives the entire series, where Himiko mm-hmm. is essentially, like you said, trying to stop Miyu, and Miyu is trying to keep going. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was really fascinating. And that's, that's just the first episode. So that is, you know, I, it, it drew me in with its looks, with its sounds... The, the plot is fantastic. The questions it raises are very interesting and dynamic. Did did you have any aspects of episode one that you wanted to touch on? Is it wrong that when I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is kind of like Dexter. Where well, <laughs> Have you seen any of Dexter? I have. So I if, did not make that connection. <laughs> in the sense that you're born of blood. So I think it was the girl, um, not getting too deep into what happened to her, but seeing what happened to her parents... Right. Uh, that sure. affected her and kind of created a bloodlust in her. Yeah. Well, and, they, because she received the transfusion. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Gotcha. And so just that element of it reminded me a bit of if, if you enjoy the show Dexter seasons one through four, because I refuse to acknowledge the last four seasons. Fair enough. Um, this would be a definite score for you to watch. So I just noticed that kind of element of blood and liquid. And I think yeah. that keeps coming into the theme. I was just also so intrigued by, you know, they started to paint this world of the Shinma, the Shinma who are God and demon. And I was wondering, I don't know a lot about uh, Japanese mythology in that regard, as far as religious, uh, religion and paranormal aspects. But can you speak to that, Mason? Anything about like, what, what are the origins of these monsters? And oh. like, what religious traditions are they rooted in? Is Shinto and Buddhism? Like- yeah, it's it's definitely, I mean... I also am not an expert. Let me clarify that. But I definitely, I think it's coming from Shinto Buddhism uh, or actually primarily folklore, probably like Japanese folklore, because after she identifies the Shinma in the first episode and she's like, it's rotten. And then Himiko is like, rotten, what? And then she's like, Mm -hmm. and Miyu is like, oh, more commonly known as Baku. 
I think. Uh. And she's like a Shinma that dwells in your dreams, which I've always taken to be that it's some myth that's founded in either Buddhism or Shinto or like Japanese folklore, you know, and I think, I think most of the Shinma are are concepts that are taken from that mm-hmm. in in the OVA. Let me be clear. Yeah. Because in the TV series, it, it kind of, it goes, in my mind, off track. And we'll probably talk about the TV series in a, in a different episode. Because it, I will, I will begrudgingly say that it's maybe worth your time to watch. I know other people will disagree with me. But anyway, um, but the OVA is definitely on there. So yeah, that's that's my main thing. I guess that's pretty much it for episode one. I, I highly recommend it. The music is amazing. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that in more in the next aspect. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say my initial reaction to, and I think that this is, aside from the ethical conflict, tradition versus modernity. That to me is what Japan is all about, because you have a society that's deeply, deeply rooted in its traditional culture, but then has this hyper neo forward progressive um, culture that it also celebrates. So seeing where those two meet, you know, to me is something that I think, you know, the creators were asking, especially back in the 80s, because you had that time of economic flourish. Economic booming. Exactly. And so I, you know, again, this story, tradition versus modernity, um, the fact that it's set in these historical places in Kyoto, and it's dealing with a lot of traditional themes, but you have that's really fascinating yeah. because you're right. Because Miu, when she shows up, and one of the things I do want to talk about at some point is um, her outfits. Her outfits change in each mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. But she's always very classical and very formally dressed in kimonos and stuff. And she's always interacting with Himiko, who is running around in very modern, you know, she wears pants, she wears business suits and, and whatever. And very sophisticated looking on a modern standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting that you talk about that because, yes, Himiko arrives in the modern convenience. She flies in on the airplane. She's at the airport or wherever. And then as she as she goes over into meeting Miu, it's like in these parks ah, by these temples. A regression kind yeah. of back into history yeah, almost. Exactly. Yeah, kind of back in. And, and That's a really good point. Which you'll tie in on episode four because they're going back to the original capital or whatever, yeah. which I'll, I'll be interested in hearing about. And really quickly, before yeah. we move on to episode two, yeah, um, sure. I have the origin of lemon in case you're oh, wondering. I, I would love it. So lemon, the term originated from an early hentai series named Cream Lemon yes. in 1984. Cream <laughs> Lemon. And so uh, that lemon, that's where lemon, the term came from. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Episode one is phenomenal. I have a rule in my in my watching of anime that if the first episode rocks, usually the rest of the uh, series sucks. And if the first episode kind of sucks, the rest of the series is usually awesome. Miyu totally blows that away. It's all awesome. It's, it, each episode just got better. So, well, that's not entirely true, but each, each episode was amazing in, a, in its own way. So anyway, let's, let's move on to episode number two, which is by far one of my favorite, mostly because the villain is, is just amazing. Yeah, these are all kind of Monster of the Week episodes as well, I should mention. That's true. So it's an easy story to watch and to pick up. Um, yeah, I recommend you start from the beginning, but yeah. like it's easy to, to it's, it's, it's very watchable. Like Sarah said, the format is very Monster of the Week, but the through line of Miyu's backstory and kind of her whole mission and everything and her relationship with Himiko mm-hmm. is what keeps you coming back. And, and it's, it's a very well executed uh, rendition of all that. Anyway, so now we're going to go into episode two. So this is, this is fall, um, which is my favorite season in general. And it all kind of revolves around school. And it's the first time that you see Miyu as a schoolgirl. She apparently, when she's not off moonlighting as a vampire monster hunter. hunter, yeah, vampire 
princess princess monster. vampire princess Shima hunter she enrolls at school different schools around under under assumed names or whatever and she runs around this in this uniform and and kind of keeps tabs on things which is interesting but at this particular school is one guy whose name is k he goes by k and this <laughs> this guy is kei and this guy is hands down the most attractive man apparently that has ever in the world yeah because Every girl who sees him, Miyu and the Shinma and even Himiko, if they see him, they're just like, oh my God, wow, he's really hot. Like, I really (laughs) want to interact with this guy. And then what ends up happening is at the school is a girl who is turned into a doll. Uh, People don't realize it, but a girl disappears and later a doll is found. A a really creepy kind of mannequin doll. Yeah, the episode opens with the shot of... um a bunch of kind of broken down mannequins and yeah, marionettes, marionettes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, well, after we summarize it, puppetry and kind of Japanese theater, the, this episode is laden with Japanese. Yeah. Theatrical I'm going to let, I'm gonna let you go off. It's, I'm going to be fascinated by everything you say. The mannequins, the marionettes, all that stuff, it, it's in there. But anyway, and, and also this concept of the doll that they bring up where the doll is ageless. The doll is eternal. It doesn't mm. age. It doesn't grow old. And Miyu like, relates to the doll in that respect, which I thought was kind of interesting. And this, and this entire episode is about not wanting to grow old. Mm-hmm. Not, slash, Eternal life. Yeah, slash grow up, question mark, because that's the whole key, youth, key yeah. aspect. Or, or is it? Or was it just love? Um, also, this is a, a love story, which I, I dig love stories and I dig romance. Anyway, they're at the school and this girl disappears. She becomes a dollar and her father wants to figure out what happens. He hires Himiko to come and investigate it because he's like, I, you know, I'm pretty sure this doll is my daughter. Somebody found this sketch of a doll. And so Himiko's like, oh, all right, I'll go check it out. But secretly she's like, oh, I think this sounds like something Mew would be involved uh-huh. in. So I'm going to go check it out. She's obsessed with finding answers and also stopping quote unquote Mew. So anyway, so she goes to the to the school and it's true Miyu's there and Himiko runs into Kay and she's like wow this Kay guy's really hot and it turns out Kay is a mortal guy Mm -hmm. and he has a girlfriend but he meets this Shinma who is Shinma Ranka who I have to say is voiced by Mayumi Shu amazingly (laughs) Right on par with Miyu and, and Himiko, like the the female voice talent in this show is uh, through the roof in my mind. Uh, in the Japanese version, let me be clear. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, he meets this uh, Shinma who is masquerading as a schoolgirl, and the, the Shinma is very taken with Kei and his good looks, and so he and he's very taken with her in her human form, and they start hanging out together. And Miyu sees this and she's like, all right, I have to hunt the Shinma. And also she's trying to take K from me and I want K. So I'm going to go do this. And then there's this whole thing where K is hanging with the Shinma because he says the Shinma can make him immortal. Like he doesn't want to, he's like, I'm so beautiful. I don't want to age and grow old. And the Shinma is like, there is a way that I can make you not grow old anymore, which is turning him into a doll. But she's like, it's not, I don't want to do it. And part of that's from this, he has this conflicted family background, right? Like, isn't his brother putting pressure on him? It's it's his his parents are putting pressure on him. Like his, oh. And a party oh. bus just drove yeah. by. Yeah. <laughs> Film, <laughs> recorded live in West Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, no, his parents 
His mother and his father are like, you got to do better, Kay. Why don't you be more like your older brother? That's like, right. He's so good. And his older brother's like, you got to join dad's company. Like, yeah, gonna, well, his older disgrace. brother is... His, his older brother is basically like, don't worry about it. We all know we're going to go work for dad, but you need to at least try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so Kay is just like, he just doesn't relate. He doesn't, he doesn't really connect with So the, like the his, people. his desire for eternal youth, is that like an escape from that family situation? I think that's part of it, right? I mean, if you could go off and I know as a teenager, I was like, man, if I could go off and run off with my girlfriend and not have to deal with my parents, that'd be great. I think mm. that's definitely part of it. But also, I think it's just true love, man. Like, he fell pretty hard for the Shinra. Ranka. Yeah, exactly. And Ranka fell pretty hard for him. And um, and Miu, it's interesting to say, does Miu actually want to be with Kay? Or is she just interested uh, because she wants some blood from a beautiful person? Or is it um, a power play between them? Yeah, I, I got the impression that she was more upset that she lost more than anything. Not, you know, that she didn't succeed in her objective. Yeah, I I think one of the reasons that this always, that this episode does stick with me is because uh, Miyu loses, essentially. In in most anime, it's kind of like, oh, here's some Mm. some trials and Mm -hmm. you overcome it. You you win and and you move forward. But in this one, you know, she kind of lost. Uh, She tried tried to get the guy to let her feed from him. And he was like, no, I'd rather go be with Shima. So big surprise (laughs) at the end. Yeah, well, it's true. Uh, (laughs) So big surprise. Miyu does face off against Shinma Ranka, but mm-hmm. her whole deal is I want you to back off from K because I want him. And Ranka is like, I'm not going to back off. So you're going to either have to fight me or whatever. And Miu is like, I'm going to let you slide right now, but I'm going to come back because Miu goes to make a play for K. Yeah. And when Miu actually confronts K about it, um, she offers him eternal you know, life. And he actually says to her that it's not about preserving his looks. It's about that he's in love with this girl. And Miu is like, you don't even understand. She's a monster. Mm. But what's interesting is Miu's the same thing. Right. Like she's Just a, a mo- different brand of monster. Yeah. What really rocks it to me in this one is Ranka is actually in love with Kay. And so she doesn't want to turn him into a doll. And so the compromise on this is that she turns him into another Shinma like her. Like she reveals her Shinma form, which is this kind of really, really cool looking. Looks like a doll. Yeah, like what, what a skeleton Looking doll yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, she's like, can you love him like this, Miu? Because I can. And Miu's like, oh, man. No, I, I'm not into him. He doesn't look human anymore. And and she's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're shallow. I love him like this. And now we're going to talk about the theater aspect of it. Yeah. So this episode is laden in Japanese traditional theater imagery, specifically no. Um, first of all, the movements of Ronk. Well, okay. So a lot of Japanese theatrical traditions kind of grew off of each other. So we start with Gagaku, which were court dances that kind of had a religious underpinning to them. And is this like from these Gen- Genji era? Mm, pre. This is oh, like okay. 600. Oh, okay. 400 to 680, I believe. And then coming from that tradition, you have No, which is a little bit later. I think we're talking about like a thousand. Mm-hmm. And from no, you have Kyogen, which is the humor, the, the kind of comedic relief that they play in between no plays. And then from um, no, you also have influences in traditional Japanese dance, Nihon Buyo. 
also Bunraku, Japanese puppet theater, kind of came about around the same time, again, kind of influenced by the traditions of no. And so when the episode opens and I see all these marionettes, um, I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be a lot of like Bunraku uh, symbolism. But it's interesting. They're playing with the idea of theatricality in general. So it's at one point you see Ranka, the demon of the Shinma's feet, moving and she's doing suriyashi which is like a slipping of the feet that's yeah that's something that i noticed um not to cut you off Mm -hmm. um that's something that i noticed in a a lot of this uh, ovas is they look at the feet and and Mm. how they're stepping yes and uh miu for example is always barefoot when when she's a schoolgirl, she has shoes but if she's ever like in her hunter mode she's always barefoot and around one foot is a red ribbon which i'm not sure what the deal with that is but anyway go ahead yeah that's interesting to think about it's kind of like her calling card you see that foot step forward the red ribbon and you're like oh miu time yeah yeah um and the musical cue but like suriyashi is a form of inno and in Nihonbuyo, it's creating a sense of floating. So it's often used cool. for like for spirit characters. And no, ah. the is laden with you know characters who are spirits, angry spirits, grieving spirits. And so I believe they're they focus on the feet of Ranka doing this movement to just underpin that idea that she's otherworldly. She's a spirit. She is not of this earth. Another thing they do is they have the clapboard sound and then, you know, the traditional yo, which you hear a lot in no and also a little bit in kabuki. They open the episode with it. They close it out with it. It's a really lush soundscape just incorporating all these Japanese theatrical traditions. And you wonder, again, why why throw all of this for this character, this episode? What does it mean that she's a theatrical character? Yeah, I do wonder that because when she turns Kay into the monster, mm-hmm. it's through this uh, type of dance that you were explaining. Um, I thought it was no theater, but it's not. It's something else. Well, it, no, Nihonbuyo came from no. Oh, it is. Like, okay. So it's, it's a very, that's what I'm saying. They're, the traditions are very linked. At, oh, okay. The further back in time you go. Yeah. They do this ritual with the, and, and in the background, one of my favorite musical pieces is is the koto and, mm. and the... Uh, and shamisen. The, yeah, the shamisen and the, uh, and the clapboard. It's almost like a wedding. Ah, highlighting the love story. Yeah, well, you got the cherry blossoms yes, kind of floating. That's the next thing I was going to talk oh, about. Go ahead. So, like, you see petals, petals, especially at you know at the end of the episode, it closes out on petals falling on uh, Ranka and Kay, right? Mm-hmm. They, as they walk off into the petals falling, sakura petals specifically is a symbol of springtime. So it's interesting that it's set in fall, mm. but you have this you know spring petal imagery. So sakura only blooms in April usually is the blooming season in Japan. And the thing about sakura, the reason why it's such a celebrated tree and flower in Japan is because it's ephemeral. The blossoms are beautiful. They don't bloom for very long. And once they leave, it symbolizes life is beautiful, whether you're at the start, like the dormant tree, the tree that's budding, the full flower. And when the flower falls away, it's ephemerality. Is that a word? Sure. (laughs) Is what makes it beautiful. And so 
it's ironic, I think, a little bit that it's used for these two people who are living forever now, who are kind of immortal. Um, but they're leaving the earthly realm. So maybe it's their time. Their it's life is ephemeral because the sakura petals represent yeah. the changing nature of life. That's the, very interesting. And they're a classical symbol of romance because romance is temporary. Right. Right. <laughs> Eternal love psh, <laughs> doesn't exist. But uh, but also Miyu, who is in a a very interesting kimono in this episode when when she's in her vampire mode, it's a red kimono. Which, in my research, I found out that if you're wearing a white kimono, it means you're you're dead, or it's for the dead people, or maybe that's a black kimono. Well, there no no no, white's for dead, right? And black white, is for wedding. Uh uh, but 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 I think white is a symbol of dead of dead. Actually, like white and black stripes. I don't know about oh, just black. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, but I found out a red kimono can also be the symbol of a prisoner. Oh. Which I was just kind of like, all right. Hey. And Miu is wearing a red kimono. Miu is wearing a red kimono, but what? But also, and it's got this um the o- obo sash, the obi obi sash, mm-hmm. yeah. And Ranka uses as a weapon, mm. which I thought was pretty cool. But also, and I was really interested in this. Miu has this like veil that she hangs out under, and she uses it as some sort of weapon. Like she'll throw it at, at the Shinma, and if it falls on them, I guess something happens. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Ranka always avoids it or whatever. So at the end of the episode, after all of this, what she's essentially doing is distracting Miu while Kay completes the the transformation. And then they do this no dance or this dance where they go through each other and essentially become one type. Thing? Yeah, they do. <laughs> looking at looking in your direction. Well, they do. They do a dance. They do a little dance. They make a little love. They yeah. basically get down tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's very, um, you know, again from the movements of Nihon Buyo, traditional Japanese dance. And one thing I was trying to think about is—is is that a wedding dance? That's a good question. Oh, okay. Well, see, here's the thing. I was trying to think about what, if any, no story archetypes this particular thing falls into. Like what you said earlier, like each episode's a morality play. Mm-hmm. No, no is sort of similar in that you have these different spirits often in no examining, you know, okay, they're tied to a place, for instance. Why are they tied to that place? Like what happened that, how were they wronged? Who wronged them? Mm-hmm. Are they getting revenge? And like a woman's revenge is a big theme in mm. no, like an angry female spirit. Sure. She gets her own mask, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She's a different. She's a distinct character. So thinking about the idea of, of this, you know, of, of dueling female spirits is what you essentially have here with Miu and Ranka. There's also stories about lovers double suicide. Shinju. Shinju. Which is, uh, which is in episode three. But we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Mm. And I think there's like echoes of it here with the two lovers kind of cementing their eternal love for each other. Oh, and in a by... sense, heading away from life. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, man, Zara. Deep on, moments. On point. Good job. Deep moments with Zara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I agree with you. And I and I definitely got the impression from their dance or whatever that it was kind of a marriage mm. and that they were walking off essentially down the aisle into their new uh, life together. Mm. Very interesting to call into question, what is everyone's motivations here? Obviously, Kay, who is a guy instead of a girl as is typically the case, is the object of desire, the mm. object of beauty. You know, I, his, his character is borderline non-existent. Um, yeah. But he's he's basically the, the trophy that everybody wants. And what is everyone's motivations for it? Mm. Um, Miu's is 
I think lust and Ranka's love and, mm-hmm. and Himiko. I, I don't know. Well, old, Himiko, old woman charm. <laughs> it's interesting because um, Himiko goes to investigate, but it's out of kind of concern. She doesn't want another human life lost to sure. either of these people. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think that's that's the general view. But then, so do, well, I guess you're right. I guess it doesn't really affect her. Miyu often argues with her on that point. The the crux of the episode for me is Himiko is once again verbally sparring with Miyu at the end and she's like i'm sorry that you lost this time miyu and miyu is like no i beat the shinma i sent it to the dark i did my job and himiko says i don't mean as the hunter i mean as the woman Mm. and i gotta tell you as an adolescent boy watching that <laughs> i was just like me and my me and my friend were just like oh my god like did that just happen that's so funny yeah because i gotta tell you it's you know it was it was unheard of to hear a, a, a fairly attractive female protagonist not not getting what get, she set out to get yeah from and, a man you know because if it was a shonen mm-hmm. manga a guy manga uh-huh you know, the guy usually quests after the girl and it's flipping that was very eye-opening for me. Yeah. As a as a young boy. That's a really good point. For me watching that, um, you know, just having seen the show, not uh, at, the, at the age I am now, I thought it was a moment of the women bonding on something and understand, not bonding, but understanding each other about something where before it had just been friction. Like, I don't agree with your ways from Himiko right. to Miyu. And Miyu being like, this is the way it is and deal with it. And then this is the moment where Himiko's like, hey, I see you. I see the human part of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. I do think that this is the point that actually kind of draws them together a little bit. Like they can relate to each other on that point. That's on that excellent- point. That's excellent. I, I hadn't realized that. No, it's an excellent point. Um, verbal sparring also between Shinra Ranka and Miyu is really great. I'm not giving it enough justice, but the dialogue in this episode is fantastic. And of course, the art direction and sound design is, is equally awesome. And uh, I don't know, any final thoughts on episode two? No. It was creepy, y'all. Oh my God, when the blood is coming off of the dead marionette's eyes. Oh, yeah. There's just so much cool imagery in it. Like, yeah. I'm really psyched that I opened my October watching this. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a great way to get ready for all the ghoulishness of this month. It is in essence a horror anime and it, it just handles everything really, really spectacularly. And the art is amazing. And yeah, the marionettes just look creepy. Like Shinaraka turns her victims into these creepy, cool marionettes. And, um, and at one point Miyu is attacking Shinaraka, but one of her marionettes jumps up. Well, I don't know if she causes it to rise or it jumps up of its own free will to block her and save save the Shinma. But the, in essence, Larva kills it by accident, and then that's it. Speaking of Larva... Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Larva. Episode 3 is yeah, that's Larva-centric. It, yeah, it is. And, and so... Episode three, which takes place in winter, which is pretty awesome. Um, Watching snowfall in Kyoto is always Mm. an amazing experience. Larva is Miyu's like silent companion, and you don't really know much about him. Wears a mask. He wears this mask, which is in itself uh, theatrical. Yes. So uh, the mask is actually from Venetian carnival. Uh, It's a Venetian carnival mask uh, from Italy. 
uh, called Volto, or I believe it's also called Larva. So it's it's very much a direct, it's a throwback to, to Italy, which is interesting because thinking about just vampires in general, a lot of vampire uh, mythology, lots of different cultures have it, but I feel like, you know, Italy, France, you, these places in Europe, you really strongly link to vampirism. Yeah, Carpathia and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I, I agree. And it's fascinating to hear that the mask, I thought the mask was original. I did not know that it had any yeah. sort of roots, but um, it, it does look kind of like a masquerade mask. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really interesting mask. Like, you should definitely check it out. Very it's, simple, but effective. And ominous looking. O- ominous. Larva, after he was bonded to Mew, his voice was sealed away and he has to wear this mask. So he, he can't talk. And you don't we, have to animate his facial expression. Yeah. And you don't have to uh, <laughs> hire a voice actor. Although they do later, very briefly. And Larva becomes this kind of protector of, of Mew. He's kind of her bodyguard. Like anytime a situation gets, if she gets over her head or whatever, she'll ask him for help. And I think one of the things that I do really like about the show is their relationship. I think yeah. their relationship is fascinating because even though he barely speaks, it's very clear that he cares so deeply for her. They talk a little bit about it in this episode. Miu does have feelings for him, although I, I think at this point they're kind of unclear. He's kind of a father figure, older brother, but also he's really hot. If you've seen him without the mask, he's, he's really hot. Larva's dreamy. Right. That's all there really is to it. He's just dream city. And I think that this, this archetype, again, of the idea of a guardian figure, that's neither, you know, it's neither a father and it's neither a lover. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, I definitely think that part of the appeal of it all, and this is something that I I talked about in uh, C47. See, I did a sci-fi show uh, with Zara. That I starred in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Called C47, which is really amazing. Check it out if you can ever find it. There are men who are strong and will protect you and will lay down their life for you and will do whatever, but are not interested in you sexually. Yeah. For whatever reason, that just doesn't come into the equation just yet. It's always kind of simmering behind closed doors. Like Lena and Gowrie. From Slayers. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which I exactly. I don't like that that happened. Sorry. Oh, Go well, ahead. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll get we'll there do, we'll someday. Do Slayers. Yeah, well, someday. <laughs> but um, Larva and Miu kind of exon- ex- exemplify that. So mm. there very clearly is some sort of bond between them that's very deep that somebody can't just step into. And it's very clear that Larva is like super hot, but it's not sexual question mark. The ambiguity of relationships is something that. Japanese media does really well. That's true. It's like leaving the relationship open. And so you're constantly wondering, when are they going to, are they ever going to? Yeah, yeah. Ah. Like, what is the deal? What is going on? Because Larva will assist Miyu in hunting victims. And she only hunts victims that she finds attractive in some way. So he'll help her in that respect. And he also helps her hunt and, and banish Shinma. Which is interesting because he is he is himself a Shinma and so has been turned against his own kind. So that's kind of interesting. In the manga, they have a very explicit relationship. Really? Yeah. He in the manga, it's a little different. The manga came out after the OVA, which you mentioned was kind of rare. For, very rare for an OVA to come out first, then a manga based on it. Yeah, very rare. Then an animated yeah. series. Yeah, and and like I said, I think. I mean, if I can put on my, I don't know. Spectacles? No, the if I can put on my guess hat. I can't remember the, the word that I'm looking for. Thinking cap? No. <laughs> <laughs> guess hat. Go with that. Yeah, guess hat. I think that this was a passion project. 
this was a passion, but like the husband and wife were like, I want to do a project that's kind of, kind of get us known. Like we've been doing some lemon stuff and some lesser known stuff. Like let's, let's do some of our own stuff. We've got, you know, the skills mm. and the people. And this was a passion project. So they, you know, they did the OVA and it, it became not super popular, but it definitely established a, a cult following, like a serious cult following of people were like, me, is awesome. The character designs are awesome. And that, in turn, caused them to be like, all right, well, let's do a manga. Mm. And then after that, they, they got the TV series. But in the manga, uh, to briefly digress, um, Larva speaks. He's not sealed behind the mask. Surprise. And, um, and they have a... We have the budget to animate yeah. you now. <laughs> or, or draw you in a panel. But yeah. Um, well, in the TV series, yeah, he, he does speak and he has a voice actor and everything. But in the manga, uh, they, they have a pretty explicit romantic relationship it, like they they openly confess love for each other mm. they're like i love you i i cannot think of life without you and they you know do, do the thing where they hover inches away from each other and almost kiss or whatever that's sweet yeah <laughs> or full of tension but yeah and they touch on that in this episode so in this episode in episode three it's winter and himiko is contacted directly by miyu for the first time ever himiko's mm-hmm. i think she's just sitting in kyoto like smoking a cigarette in a park she's or so badass yeah she's she well she's like her 80s con- hair yeah Outfits. But she rocks it. She does. I want that haircut. Sorry. You, I you, um, you could get that haircut. <laughs> just bring a picture to my salon. Do it. But yeah, she she's just kind of sitting there like having coffee or whatever and like watching the snow. And then Miu comes to her and is like, yo, I need your help. Mm. So that's kind of crazy. Miu obviously almost never asks for help. Mm-hmm. And B, like, why Himiko? Mm-hmm. And kudos to the, uh, to the writers for this setup. So Larva has been kidnapped and locked away or isolated imprisoned mm. in a wall in a really cool visual of just his mask on the wall yeah uh, I, yeah so simple so, so effective yeah so good just ah, oh, just the idea of i mean it for me seeing the just the mask on the wall evokes yeah. all these ideas of you know it's just his shell yes that's there and whatever essence that makes him is gone and it's just his shell on display yeah yeah and 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 everything else is locked frozen within yeah. you know like he can't get out and stuff and it, yeah it's great it's it's wonderful art direction again when you constrain people when you scre- constrain creators and give them limitations based on budget they will find really creative and cool subtle ways to tell powerful points that is true there is a there's a very powerful theory called excellence through adversity <sighs> and that that you reach artistic excellence through the struggle, through the adversity. I'm and, writing this down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone's number one example of this is the original Star Wars trilogy that, you know, George Lucas went out there, everything went wrong. People were fainting in the desert. Like, you know, the, the droid costumes were breaking down all the time and, you know, all this stuff. But he just um, was like, let's do it. Like, we're just going to do it. We're just going to make it happen. And ex- excellence has, has been achieved. Mm-hmm. And and I, I argue that this is on this similar wavelength, that you that excellence through adversity. It's, it was a struggle. It was budget restrictions and stuff. And yet, you know, they, they really pulled it off very powerful because you, you scale the way all the all the bells and whistles and get to the, to the really core. What really matters. Of like, Concentrate it. Yeah. Mm, so good. Distill it. Yeah. Know? And it's and it's good times. So anyway, um, Miu comes and asks Himiko for help because Larva's been imprisoned. And Himiko, because she's a spiritualist, can actually help. She inscribes the wall with spiritual barriers to keep other demons away from him. And then I guess the main crux is 
there is a Shinma who that basically looks like an enchanted uh, suit of samurai armor. Yes. That is running around town doing doing stuff. And and he, and he runs into Miyu and he's like, fight me. And she's like, I can't fight you. So for whatever reason, she can't fight this uh, Shinma. So she goes and gets Himiko and she's like, you have to fight him. And <laughs> in a in a pretty hilarious scene, um, the armor comes after uh, Himiko and Himiko uses a, a Buddhist chant. Uh, Can we talk about this? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. I just want to get the, the so in the Japanese uh, version, Himiko uses a, a Buddhist chant as a as a defense, and she's got these really cool rings. It's two rings, kind of above the knuckles of her left hand, mm. and when she twiddles her fingers, they they chime together. They'll do this like chime 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 thing, and so she starts doing the Buddhist chant and chiming, and for whatever reason, the the Shinma suit of armor is like, oh, I can't handle it. And he disappears. And the the revelation of it is discussed later in the episode about why this works and why Miyu can't fight him and stuff. But we're going to digress here for just one second. So this uh, we're going to have a huge debate about this at some point um, in, oh, the, yeah. in the future. But there is the eternal question of sub versus dub, which is subtitled listening to the original Japanese audio and reading the subtitles versus dubbing it into your native language in this case my in my case english and so the english dub versus the sub and so it's sub versus dub and okay i am pretty squarely in the sub category i like the original voice acting i find it usually suits the tone better it usually suits the characters better because the the lip movement is actually drawn to the native speaking not that it matters too much in animation, but it does matter a little bit. Um, but I also find that uh, Japanese voice actors for anime are just usually better. Like they have a better connection to the character and their delivery is just better because what ends up happening is Americans buy the property, bring it over here, haven't watched it really at all, don't really get the characters at all. And just they're like, that's a guy, hire a guy. That's a girl, hire a girl. And you know and and these these american actors obviously aren't going to take the time to watch the project or i i don't even know if that's even actually you you could probably tell me yeah, is that even yeah i was going to say so here's the thing as a voice actor mm-hmm. who works on things uh, i haven't done a lot of dubbed anime but i've worked on projects like that i am not going to poo-poo the work of other voice actors because there are some fantastic dubs out there there are some there- fantastic actors out there who are doing dubs However, when this was dubbed in the late 80s, this industry was just growing. So, yes, at that time, they were like, yeah, let's get a guy. Let's get a person. And and that person did the best they could, knowing as little as they did of the material and basically like focused on matching rather than the performance. Right. However, however. I just want to defend myself real quick. Yes. I, I agree with you. I'm voice acting and dubs are very difficult thing to do i admire the actors that do it and and they do there are good dubs i have seen good dubs they do exist the princess mononoke dub in particular Mm. amazing you know and there's lots of anime out there that does have good dubs i just feel that in this one this is not a good dub like i'm sorry (laughs) so i mason i am totally with you i as a as a speaker of japanese like i studied it for four years in college 
Oh, you wow. know, like I love the original. There's all these nuances in there. And I love, I just love hearing the Japanese language. Mm-hmm. However, if a dub is done well, it can be really cool. Translation, you know, my favorite uh, quote, I think it was Brian Friel, translator equals traitor. And I love that because it's no matter how hard you work as a translator to stay original to the piece, you're going to end up fudging it somewhere in the sense that because there's not right. always a literal yeah, translation. There's... And so you do the best you can. But what a good translation would do in any language is to take the source material, be inspired by it, and then through the translation and the you know subsequent rendering of it through acting, transform it into something that's in the tone and spirit that the original piece intended, even if it's not precisely the same. That's what a good dub does. Yes. This, this is, is not a good dub. Yeah. It, this it is doesn't not match a good the dub. Tone. It doesn't match the tone. The sounds, first of all, like the they're speaking all over the place. Like they're in an intimate room together and you have one voice actor who's kind of speaking at this level. And then you have another voice actor coming in high here. It's like they don't know that they're in the space that they're played. And, you know, again, it's a hard job. I'm not crapping on these actors that were hired for this particular dub. I'm not crapping on the director. But it's a collective effort where you really have to work to match the tone and not make it forced in any way, especially in a piece like this where you have these otherworldly elements and it's easy yeah. to go campy with it. Yeah, it's yeah, easy yeah. to go campy. Right. But for instance, the reason we bring it up, <laughs> and I hope maybe, maybe Mason, you'd be able to play a sound I, I'll put the sample in so people can hear it. There's a uh, Himiko who's awesome is saying a curse. <laughs> And the curse in English is just so... I can't even describe... You just have to listen to it. I mean, I, I flat out think that, like I said, in the Japanese, it's a, it is a Buddhist chant. And I think either the director didn't have time to try and figure it out or or the actress was just like... I, I she mean, couldn't yeah. make it sound cool. It just sounds yeah, because like... There, I mean, what she says is just gibberish. There's just nothing... You know, I mean, they just... They were like, make a bunch of sounds, kind of, or whatever. And she does it at one kind of pitch all the way through and she over-enunciates it so it just sounds like... Have you ever heard like a person with a strong American accent attempt Japanese and like every syllable is... is like dozo hajime mashite zera des dozo yoroshiku like that's, that's it's so like there's, there's no attempt to make it sound foreign and otherworldly i mean you're, you're you're invoking a curse for god's sake use your imagination at least sound cool yeah no it but was, it just is so bad and then was, like all the people who listen to that and they're like yeah this is good let's push it forward yeah <laughs> like that to me is just and i know it was the 80s i know times were different but no this is what gets me is because the 80s had uh, we're getting off topic, but the 80s had such good dubs. Voltron, uh, Robotech, like all the all the anime back in the 80s was amazing. The Akira, like the original Akira. You know what? It's clear that the creators of the English dub maybe didn't have the budget. I mean, to- okay, but like I often wonder, like Thundercats, like all the voice acting in the 80s, in the 80s cartoons, all the voice acting's through the roof. And I just wonder, like... What happened? Well, I mean, those are probably projects that had more money to focus on the dub because they were being released for a wider audience. Well, I just mean I think the voice acting was better, like Larry King. Because they had the money to pay for good actors. Something like this, where it's like, okay, let's dub it and just get it out fast. They Mm. probably didn't have the same budget. And didn't have uh, access to the same talent pool. But the actors who dubbed this went on to greatness. Did they? 
I think. I don't know. I Again, mean, we're not we poo-pooing can... specific actors, but I you do have you an want opinion. Me to name names? <laughs> we're not going to name names, but I just okay. this dub is so bad. Yeah, the dub is really uh, in me, comparison me, to how good the Japanese acting yeah, is. Yeah, like I said, I think for me, and, and like Zara said, it comes down with tone and what what are you going to do with that? And um, they threw the tone out the window. Miu sounds like a Valley Girl who doesn't care about anything. And Himiko is kind of playing it like a comic book character. I'm sorry, Himiko, but you're on your own. You can't be serious. They're not taking it seriously. Like, whatever's going on. So it on, becomes cheesy as opposed to creepy. Right. And the, and which destroys the experience yeah. for me. I'll, I'll show you some examples. Anyway. <laughs> Back to episode that's three. A, that's a debate that we, we plan to have because I'm... I wonder if you can really ever match the uh, the original uh, voice acting of a project. You know, if it's originally in English, can anyone dub it and make it sound cool? Can a dub ever surpass the original? Good question. Yeah. Good question. We should definitely talk about that. All right. <laughs> so the point is, Himiko shows up and she she chants, and the big twist is the armor is not a Shinma. It is a, it is a human spirit who. Oh, he saw his wife. And then he, His, he got oh, killed. He, he got terminally ill. He was terminally ill or whatever. And his wife was like, no, anything so that you can live. And she cut a deal with a Shinma named Lemuris, who is a, quote, good friend, quote, of Larva, who actually shows back up in the manga when they when they come to get Larva back. Um, or I'm sorry, mm. his, his little brother shows up or something because Lemuris doesn't make it. Mm-hmm. But Lemuris, for some reason... Dot, 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 is like obsessed <laughs> with larva. He's like way into larva. And Who like, wouldn't be? Well, yeah. Come sure. on, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. <laughs> larva. He's a, he's a beautiful creature. He's not human. Keep that in mind. That's I a mean, bonus. I, I was totally down with Plus. La- oh, okay. <laughs> I was totally down with larva. I was like, your, your head is amazing. But then you see his hand and it's like this weird skeleton vein thing. Like red fingernails? Red fingernails, white skin, like white, white skin, and then black knuckles. He got too much sun. That that's kind of bizarre. Anyway, but Lemurus is like, oh, Larva, I, I need to save you from this girl. Mm. She's imprisoned you. And so he kidnapped Larva and, and imprisoned him while he took out Miu because Lemurus thought if he eliminated Miu, Larva would wake from her control. And then he was like, I'm a Shinma. Miu will have cause to fight me. But a way to get around that, which is a good rules lawyering on his part, was to get a human spirit and have the human spirit fight Mew because she's not allowed to fight a human spirit, only Shinma. So anyway, this guy was dying. He was madly in love with his wife. They were poor or whatever. They had this suit of armor. And the wife was like, anything so that my husband can live again. So Shinma Lemuris was like, all right, I'll take your life and I'll grant spiritual life to your husband and she was like deal so the husband saw this and was so overwhelmed with grief Mm -hmm. that he was like i can't ever remember that at all so he locked it away and then Mm -hmm. lemuris was like oh it's because you're a shinma and here possess this suit of armor now you're an armor shinma you're not a human you're an an armor shinma so that's why himiko can affect him because as a spiritualist she can affect a, a human ghost Mm. But Miyu is not allowed to fight him because he's a he's a human, and so that's why uh, ah. Miyu goes and gets. They got to work together, yeah, to come and, and help her, and it was cool. And then at the very end, the Shinma, the quote unquote Shinma, is defeated and Larva is freed. And there are several key points in this episode where Miyu talks about her feelings about Larva, 
And then the first one is when he's imprisoned and she's talking with Himiko about it. And Himiko is like, how did you guys meet? Like, what, what's going on? And you get a little flashback about Miyu. And she was a little girl at the time. And Larva came from across the sea because he was a, he was a leader of a, a clan of Shinma that defected from Japan and, and went to the West. And he came across the sea to join her to be like, yes, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna be the leader of your people. And so the first thing he was gonna do was kill Miu because mm. she was gonna be the next guardian. Mm-hmm. Hold for siren. Yeah, there's a there's a nice fire truck going on. He was gonna kill Miu because she was the next guardian. And so he was all set to do it, but then her vampire powers awakened and she hit him with the golden eyes and he couldn't, he couldn't look away. She fed off him. Mm. And because he allowed that to happen, they, they sealed him and he became bonded to her. So she can feed off of Shinma. Yes. And their blood as uh, well. Yeah, she can feed off of anything. It's just a question of what she chooses to. Ah, uh, like Dexter. He can only kill serial other yeah, serial killers. Yeah, exactly. And, and Mew only wants to feed off of tortured souls. Although, interestingly, brief side note, Mew in the manga, there's a, a sequel kind of called Yui. Yui, the vampire princess. And she also travels with a, um, a Shinma who is kind of her larva thing. But, but he openly is like, you can feed off me because she refuses to feed off humans. Uh... And that's Yui. And that's, I don't know. I haven't read that one, but it's supposed to be pretty good. But anyway, Miyu feeds off him and gives him her blood too. And that's why Larva has the power of the flame because he can... He he can banish Shinma as well because he has also fed off Miyu and then they have a they have a bond together. So are they in love with each other or not? It's a very tough question because Larva very very clearly cares very very deeply for her. And Miyu tells Himiko she's like he's my only friend. He's the only one who really understands me. He's my sole companion as I travel through this ageless wasteland. And when she was a child and freaking out, Larva would come and like wrap her in his cloak. And it's almost like, you know, he symbolizes an imaginary friend absolutely. for a little girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, like I said, the strong protector who's, mm-hmm. for one reason or another, not interested in sex. Yeah. Which is very interesting to me. Yeah. It's like masculinity, all the strength that comes with that, but none of the threat of right. the penis. Yeah. It's like dad, you know, like just... But pro- not. Pro- but not. But like protector. Yeah. You know, big brother protector kind of thing, but not. It's like the, what is it? The unoffensive male or the un Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the whole theory of why are there some relationships with, you know, the straight woman and the gay man? Why does that relationship oh. happen? Because it's like a man who won't hurt you. Gives you all the benefits of being with a man and being around masculine energy, but at the end of the day, he's not going to try to get in your pants. Right, which I guess is a real challenge for some people to deal with. For women, yeah, to feel like that's what all men that's what men want. I would you. imagine that if you're an attractive woman, You just have to deal with that so often that like anytime a guy comes and talks to you, you're just in the back of your mind. You're just kind of like, you're talking to me. Why? Is it because you're actually interested in me or are you just trying to get my pants? And that's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I'm sure attractive men have to deal with it too. It's tough too, because not to completely sidetrack, but just going out and doing things you let's say I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. It's mm-hmm. like, I want to go out and dance, but I don't want to go out and dance by myself because I know someone's going to try to grind up on me and I don't right. want to deal with that. Right. It's like the, the fact that that's like ingrained into just what well, you go through as yeah, a woman. I, I, dance clubs have become 
our society's kind of mating grounds, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, so I understand. I guess that's, yeah, so then you could bring your male protector or whatever. Yeah, like. right. So that's why this idea, you know, is a female, for shoujo anime, and I would classify this as shoujo, it's like beautifully drawn um, men and women. Very beautiful. The art on this is yeah, great. really exquisite. It's 80s, but it's great. And so as a woman audience watching the show, you take comfort in the idea of this man who is strong and powerful, protect you, but is not going to try to be with you sexually. Right. And also, I will say props to Larva. He backs off. He's, you know, whenever... Miyu's a very strong female character. I don't want to give the impression that she... Larva does all the heavy lifting yeah, or anything no. like that. Like, Miyu can hold her own, like, full show. Um, but, they make a, <laughs> but they make a good team. At one point... Uh, Larva is freed, and this is the second point that Miu actually shows her her feelings for Larva. She's she corners Lemurus, and she says, "I'm not going to banish you." Normally, for the past two episodes, she she corners the Shinma and then banishes them to the dark, gets rid of them in the world. But she's like, "But you, because you messed with my man Larva." I'm not going to banish you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to burn you. I'm going to burn you to death. So she reduces him to ashes. Like his immortal life is over. Shinma are immortal uh, mm-hmm. unless there's an unnatural cause of their death. So she burns him to ash mm-hmm. because he, Don't mess with Larva. Yeah, because he hurt Larva. Anyway, yeah, don't mess with Larva. And that to me bespeaks her real feelings for him that she will kill for him. Something that you said earlier, going back to the story of, you know, the man in the armored suit, it seems like a recurring theme through these episodes is a human being wanting to forget some difficult element of being human by transforming into a demon. Um, And what is it trying to get at? And and Miu, I think it's in episode four, she has that speech about, or is is it episode three? She's like, I don't understand how these people forget because I'll never forget. Right. No, that's three. That's That's three. That's this episode. Yeah. Yeah, That's the end of three. Yeah. It's it's great. And like Miu's whole thing as she's dealing with the suit of armor, he's like, hunt me, hunt me. And she's like, I can't because you're human. And he's like, I'm not human. What are you talking about? And then she's like, you have to remember. Like, I can't fight you. You have to remember. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he does remember. And also, by the way, side note, this is the episode that introduced me to the concept of love suicide by the well, which is Uh, Shinju, uh because that's what the police think happened with the man and his wife. They're like, oh, it was Shinju. It's a very, very common theme in Japanese literature and society. This idea of the double suicide. Which, uh, you know, blew my mind. I was like, wow, to love someone so much that you would just die at the same time. On one hand, so romantic. And on the other one, just so messed up. Such a downer. Yeah. So anyway, I was I was introduced to this concept, but so the the guy in the suit of armor, thanks to Miu's uh, prompting and and subsequent burning of uh, Lemuris, who in his dying, Lemuris, while he's being burned alive and dying, talks with Larva, who is who is conscious apparently, but was imprisoned. And he's like, Larva, I came to, I love you so much. Like I came to save you. And now you're, you're staying with this girl. That's like right. what's going on? And Larva's like, Oh, Lemuris. And I've, I've often pondered this line um, for years in my head and my spare time. He's like, Lemuris, if you could just understand this girl's sorrow, like you would understand. Uh... And I was like, I just don't really get it. You know, like, what what does draw Larva to Mew? I mean, obviously the blood mm. bond, but like, is it just the fact that, you know, she has to endure this ageless thing while she 
hunts down all the stray Shinma, which we'll get into next episode. But, Can I um, tell you my romantic interpretation please, of it? I would be very open to it. Because when I heard that, I thought, you know how there are some relationships where someone's with a person who's just very down or seems down all the time. And it's like, I love the way you hurt. Like the way you feel things to me is so beautiful and your sadness is so beautiful. And I want to be there for you through that. Like it's not a healthy relationship necessarily. Reminds me of high school. But right. It's like, but what you fall in love with people aren't the ways they're perfect or amazing. What you really fall in love with are the ways they're broken. Like you're broken. Mm. And so seeing each other's. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. You fall in love with people's flaws. That's what love really is. You know, it's like. So in a sense, that's kind of what I thought of when I heard that line is like, if you could only see this, if you knew this girl's sorrow, like if you saw the way she is exquisitely broken, you would understand why I'm in her court. That's heavy. Good one, Zara. Deep moments with Zara. Yeah, right. Hashtag deep moments with Zara. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. Um, so I don't know, that's what I thought. Yeah, no. Moving no. on. Yeah, good one. No, I'm impressed. Episode four. Yeah, I'm going to get there in one second. Anyway, so... Um, Episode three. <laughs> Summary. We're wrapping it up, wrapping it up. So anyway, once the armor realizes that he's human, he is facing uh, a police squad who have seen him in his possessed armor. And um, Miu does something very interesting. She's like, you're human. You're going to be judged by humans. So that's it like i'm i'm out so she steps out and the armor is like wait no i am human he remembers everything he remembers his wife dying and stuff and he's like no 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 i'm human i'm human and the police are like open fire yeah and they shoot him and he dies it's very sad it's a very sad thing and his blood is staining the snow oh yeah yeah and then it starts snowing Yeah. yeah and i was just like man this is a downer but it was also so good and again it's a shooting down of the traditional so it's modernity versus traditional again Boom. coming up. Yeah, modern with the day suit of machine armor being shot against, down. Yeah, modern day machine guns against uh, against samurai armor. Man, Sarah, you're rocking it today, two for two. <laughs> anyway, I re- I really like it. So it's a somber one. It's not as uplifting as normal, but I liked it because you get to see a little bit of Miu's backstory and and Larva's backstory with her, and uh, and the relationship between Himiko and and Miu uh, deepens. Okay, now, so that'll take us into number four, which is uh, spring. and um, New beginnings. New beginnings. Or are they new? Right. And this is probably, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely up there. It's, it's, it's a tie, a tie for being my favorite between number two and this one. I, although I love number one so much. I, I can't really, I mean, it's like Sophie's Choice. But um, Wow. I mean, it's heavy, man. Like every every one of the which one is best? Can I only pick one? Oh God! I, I don't know. But anyway, in episode four, it's springtime. Himiko is in Kamakura, which is um, kind of the older part of Tokyo. It's just outside of Tokyo. So she likens it to if Kyoto is the old capital, you know, in the Kan in the Kansai region, Kamakura is like Kanto's Kyoto. It's traditional. There's lots of shrines and temples. You know, there's it's rich. It's this, a lot of Japanese stories are set in Kamakura. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. So, it's very traditional and very conservative. Is it like, um, is it like Old Town? Kind of like, like here's. If I were to put it in terms of Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah. for all our uh, DMV <laughs> listeners out Just there, so you know, I'm from the East Coast. <laughs> We're actually both from the East Coast. Well, I'm from Indiana, but I lived on the East Coast for a while. Yeah, okay. It's I, I, I'm from the East Coast in my heart, in my heart of hearts. <laughs> well, um, Indiana is pretty badass. 
Um, is it? Is it? I don't know. Uh, we can talk about that later. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, but, I enjoyed it. That's all I can say. So if, uh, gosh, okay. If, um, hmm. Okay, okay. If Washington, D.C., southwest, where all the monuments are, yeah. is Kyoto. Sure. Then I guess Kamakura might be like Old Town Alex or Leesburg. 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 That's uh, that's in Virginia, which is like totally Civil War. Yeah, very Civil War. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that makes sense. Uh, yeah, Does that help? And, and it's great that I have you here to draw this comparison because I I had no idea. I that line never made sense to me. I was just kind of like, all right, cool. But yeah, so I guess so. And this is interesting to me. Mew was born there. Mew Mew lived there. So she's again going back to your theme. Wait, Himiko is from there. Himiko stayed there as a child. Okay, okay. But she's not from there. Okay. But Miyu was, grew up there, and it goes back to your whole thing. Where if you want to go find the, quote, origin of Miyu, quote, you go to the old the old way, the traditional way. Yeah. Himiko goes, I forget, I, th- I think she, she starts remembering things from her childhood, and she's like, I'm going to go check it out. I've got some time off or whatever. So she goes to... Kamakura? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she goes to Kamakura and she's like, yeah, I've been having this dream where I'm running up this hill. I think it was over here. And she goes there and in her dream at the top of the hill is a house. But she goes to the top of the hill and there's no house there. And she's like, oh, I guess it was a dream. But then poof. One of the things about Miu is she has her own dimension. Like Miu kind of hangs out in this dimension that's like... Oh yeah, weird. we haven't talked about that. Yeah. With I, eyeballs in the trees. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful. It's grotesque and beautiful. It's like red and all the trees are silhouettes and they have these like orbs that are like eyes and, and kind of a Shinma realm. And she hangs out there with Larva when she's not in the real world. And she can also use it to teleport. Like she'll leave a place and go into the dimension and then come out. She can exit in a different area and stuff like that so himiko goes to the top of the hill and there's no house and then she turns around and all of a sudden she's she's absorbed into Mew's dimension and it and there is a house and she's and so she turns back around and there is a house and now the house is in their reality or whatever and she goes into the house and it's this old school house and in it is Mew in this time a black kimono oh i should also mention briefly for episode three uh Miu wore a, a winter kimono, which was slightly longer and thicker, which I I just noticed as a again highlighting the seasonal shift yeah, of each episode, which I just loved. Uh, well, I just love her outfits; they're great. But she's still barefoot always. Anyway, in the fourth one, she's in this black kimono with I think white trim, um, because Himiko meets her in the house and is like what's going on and she's like you can open this door and she opens the door and in this really really interesting yet simple visual effect it's Miu's parents upside down behind glass or ice or something the entire room has been filled as if it was a block of ice and yeah parents, panes of glass mm-hmm. yeah or glass and the and the parents are upside down the parents are upside down immobilized in it and that was an amazing visual to me as well. I highly recommend the visuals. Um, but through that, Himiko is like, what the, what the F is going on? Like, this is crazy. And so Miu, in a rare moment of humanity, is like, all right, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my backstory. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's, let's go into it. And she explains that her mother was a Shinma who married her father, who was a human. And her mother was a, a vampire. Um, who was 
one of the guardians uh, that the the rules about the vampires being the guardians of the Shimon had already been uh, in place, and except they were mortal, the the vampires would grow old and die. But as a payoff for making that sacrifice in order to guard the Shinma, um, they were removed from all vampire restrictions. And this kind of goes, you can see elements of it throughout the entire series, but like Miyu is not affected by holy water. She's not mm-hmm. affected by sunlight. She's not affected by And Himiko gets frustrated about yeah. this. She's like, what kind of vampire are you? You don't yeah. react to garlic, holy, right. you know, garlic, holy water, yeah. all these things. Crucifix. Who no. are you? Yeah. What kind of monster are you? It's Who so good. Who are you? Yeah. It's, uh, no, not the dough. Not the dough. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so good. Miyu reveals that after Larva uh, awakened her vampire blood, she was a small girl. I think she was like 13 or something. And she went home and her mom was like, hey, anything happened? You were late coming home today. And she was like, oh, no, nothing. I just wanted to watch the waves or whatever. And Miyu's dad is a human that Miyu's mom made immortal because she loved him so much. But the trade-off of it is once he lost his mortality he became disinterested in everything because he's like his his self what made him yeah his essence he was just like uh i have enough time to do anything it doesn't matter like nothing matters anymore i'm immortal and that tore Miu's mom up because she was like i made him immortal because i thought it would help but instead he's just he's just bored out of his mind all the time and there's nothing i can do about it one of the central themes of Miu's anime is or the ova is is immortality everything it's cracked up to be everyone says they want eternal life but is it really worth it and is it right to give it to somebody Mm -hmm. and i had never even remotely thought about these questions before because Mm. and and to be fair i was a i was a huge sci-fi geek and a fantasy geek and these were heavy questions to me and very very interesting to me so I props to, to me. It really kind of reorientated my thought about what's right, what's wrong, what's um what's a good price for something. Like it's a it's a very mature anime in, in the best sense. Without nudging you too strongly in either direction. Like it sure. doesn't say, you know, this is the way she's right or no, she's right. Yeah. It's like you can see why people made the choices they made. Right. And still think, oh, maybe I would have made a different choice. Yeah, maybe I, I, I wouldn't have. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think what it does is essentially present both sides of the coin. And it's just like, hey, viewer, up to you. Bam, mm-hmm. peace, drop the mic. Like, we're out. So that's an interesting thing to me. But it, uh, played against this backdrop is Miu's burgeoning... Uh, um, Power. Yeah, vampireness. Which is coming. Yeah, which is coming up. And what ends up happening is... Larva awakens her her bloodlust in her, and then she starts becoming a vampire, and she doesn't understand what's going on. And the next day at school, she attacks a girl and drains her, and the girl ends up dying. And Miyu doesn't really understand what's going on, and she's freaking out about it. And she goes home, and the mom is like, "Hey, I hear like someone passed out from anemia today." And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, she just passed out." And the mom was like, "The I girl heard- died." Yeah, I heard. I heard she died. And Miu's like, oh, uh, I, I didn't I don't mean know to about kill it. her. Yeah. Well, she doesn't say that. But then she runs to the room and she's got this bird. She's mm-hmm. got this little bird that she like tries to tries to be cool about. Um, <laughs> but she ends up killing the bird. I can't remember why. But anyway, um, in the meantime, she's getting consumed with, with thirst. bloodthirst. Blood and in one of the coolest scenes, in my opinion... A friend of Miu's from school, Akiko. Homoerotis. Yeah. Uh, 
that I'll debate that with you. I'm I'm very curious about your. I mean, that's wasn't that just take my blood? I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. Mm. But she had a lacy undershirt on. Sorry. She, I mean, <laughs> yes, if you're into a twelve-year-old girl undergarments, which I am not, clearly, anyway. and neither should you be unless you're twelve, right, or eleven, or eleven. No, that's um, fine. But anyway, Akiko comes over for a play date. Um, and Miyu is like, do you want to have tea? And then all of a sudden, Kiko's like, you know, ever since that girl passed out, I've been thinking a lot about mortality. And then she's like, I saw you. I saw you drain that girl. And Miyu's like, oh. And then she's, and she's, I saw you drain that girl. Is it true that vampires can give mortality? And if it is, do it. Do it to me. Yeah. And Miyu is very torn. And she's like, no, 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 I can't. I can't. But then Akiko kind of opens her shirt and bares her neck or whatever and Mew like sees the neck and she's like and her eyes go gold and then that's it and they do this great thing where she comes closer and the mouth opens and Mew has a small mouth because it's big eyes small mouth style anime but it like you see the mouth open and you're like oh man it's gonna happen and then all of a sudden her mom shows up and slaps her yeah that's great and Mew is like and oh. then oh this is the best this, so anyway. yeah oh do you want to talk well no talk? no continue continue okay so then it immediately cuts to Miu in her room. And she's like, oh, I don't know what's happening and stuff. And I'm really sorry. And her mom shows up and she's like, mom, I'm a vampire. And she's like, no, you're human. But then she whips out this glass of blood. Of blood. Yeah. And she's like, just drink this. Just drink this. It's the last time because you're human. And Miu is like, what? Where, where, where did this? Or, no. And then I think she flashes back and like. Well, she like touches the blood and she has a sense of where the blood's right, from. You're thinking yeah. like cow blood. You get it, the butcher. Right. Pig blood. Right. But no, she touches the blood and then like it flashes back and it's Akiko who's like about to leave and the mom like grabs, grabs her, her hand. <laughs> and then she turns back and she's like, Mom, this is Akiko's blood, isn't it? It's Akiko's blood. You killed and, her. And the mom is just like, Get up and leave. <laughs> yeah. Says nothing. Closes the no door. No response. And she, she tries She tries to resist drinking the blood, but then right. like it cuts to the parents outside, and then it cuts to her, and you see that there's a couple drops that fall from her mouth as she's drained the glass. Yeah, and then she, she throws the empty glass. Yeah, disgusted with herself. Oh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, beating herself up tremendously. Like, can't, can't stand to be with herself. But it's interesting because later in the episode, so the Shinma come, the Shinma... I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but like the Shinma show up and they're like, it's time to declare a new guardian and it's going to be Miyu. And for some reason, the mom is like, no, I want her to live a human life. So I'll defend you. So they both leave the dad who gets immediately surrounded by Shinma and subsequently, who knows. And then they're on the run and the Shinma corner them and they're or Miyu can't run. They're running and Miyu can't run because she can't breathe because she's so thirsty. And so at that point, the mom is like, well, I'll defend you. But then Miyu's bloodlust takes over and she feeds from her mom. Which so. to me, I did not see coming, but I no. thought was so cool. Yeah, no, it's unreal. And I also wonder if the mom knew that that was going to happen. And that's why they went out together. No, or the mother offered herself to her in a no. sense of just knew it was coming. You no. think that the mother had no idea. I think the mother had no idea. I think the mother was like, I have to save my baby girl. Let's we're running like your dad's a lost cause, but we're running. We're going to make it. And if they come after me, I'll defend you. But then Miu can't keep up. So she's like, oh, Miu, like, come on, you have to do it or whatever. And then again, what happens is Miu's eyes turn gold and it hits her mom. And her mom's like, oh, 
oh no oh no and then i think it's this wonderful moment of decision where like your your point as a parent is to nurture and keep your child uh alive and safe and miyu can't breathe at this point because her throat is closing up from thirst so i think her mom comes to this like peace where she's like peace with it yeah, my point is to give my life for my child. Mm-hmm. Like, I was going to do that either way. Ah, and this is the way it needs to be done. Yeah, so then she's like, all right, me, you take it. Do it so that you can live. Like, and that's kind of a theme in a lot of anime where they're like, I'll die, but you live. I want you to live. Right, and that's why I thought maybe it was pre-planned or pre pre. Oh, I don't think it was pre-planned because I think the plan was to, to run until they were away and deal Got with it, it later. Like, but get then her, when get it was happening, being yeah. okay with it, the realization, like, okay. yeah. I understand. And, yeah. And so this goes back into her beautiful agony type thing where Mew mm, comes out of her bloodlust and, and, exactly, and realizes that she has killed her mom, well, fed from her mom to the point of, at, at the very least, incapacitation. Yeah. Freaks out. Larva comes. They, you know, they kind of do a little bonding. He shelters her, whatever. and But the Shinma catch up with them and basically say you really messed up because because you broke away from us and got us distracted hunting you down a bunch of shinma escaped your deal now is you are immortal so we're removing you from the mortality and your parents are imprisoned in this like glass block and you are immortal until all the other shinma that were released. So that's her motivation. Yeah, for have to- been have been returned to the dark, which I assume includes Larva? Question mark. I don't know. Oh, that's, that's an interesting. Good, yeah, yeah it's maybe he's the final piece. Free the genie. So right. To speak. Sure. Yeah. Also, her parents will be restored to her, so maybe she'll have a happy life or something. So yeah, and that's and that's episode four, and it's a wonderful journey into uh, Mew's backstory. Now. The do you want to take it the big twist? Well, yeah, I don't know that I okay. This is what I as a first time viewer having seen the episode once. This is my perspective. Yeah, what sure. happened? Yeah. So Miyu tells this story to Himiko, and then Himiko at one point turns, or does this happen? She goes and the house is not there. Is that the very very end? It's it's both at the beginning when she first arrives, it's not there, and then at the very end she leaves, it was and then all she turns around, it's gone again. Yeah, yeah. but. Himiko has a flash to when she lived there in Kamakura in that house. And she, she, in, a, in a different house. In a different house. She was that, playing ball or something. Yeah, yeah. And she had opened a screen and. Himiko was playing ball. She 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 was playing with a ball, which is kind of a theme because Miu plays with these orbs. Anyway, and she goes up the hill mm-hmm. to, to where the house is and she loses control of the ball and the ball rolls away. So she goes to get the ball. And at that point. So whoever's in the house, which opens. Mm-hmm. we assume is Miu, maybe, opens the screens. And he, whatever happened at that point, Mi, Himiko, like, can't remember. It's too freaky. Right. It's and too- she remembers she doesn't, she didn't turn away. She, like, looked, she went. She was transfixed. She was transfixed. Yeah. So it leads you to question, okay, Miu and Himiko have met, Himiko have met before. Did Miu feed on Himiko? And is that why part of the reason why she has these powers with right. spirituality? Yeah, and then and and there's a lot of leading lines that throughout the entire OVA series if you if you look for them, they're there where she's like humans always think that with clouded eyes and tainted lips. Miu says these lines and she's like um a lot of people think one thing even though the truth is always within them mm. and especially in Bruce the Willis yeah exactly and especially in the in the fourth episode Miu turns 
to Himiko when they're first in the house together and Miu's eyes turn gold and Himiko is unaffected. And she's like, what are you doing? Get away. And Miu actually says, oh, that explains a lot. You know, people always think these things, even though the truth is always within them. Uh, and, then, and then she goes on this thing and she's like, you know, sometimes when people are bitten, um, it doesn't manifest until later. They, they uh, grow and they grow older and everything. And then one day, one day it wakes up. And one day. And so, yeah, I think the, the very heavy implication when Himiko was a child, when she was like five or whatever, young, younger Miyu, mm-hmm. who was already a vampire at that point, mm-hmm. came across her, fed from her, and then either gave her some of her own blood and or the feeding of it awakened these spiritual powers in Himiko. And so they are, in fact, like linked. super linked in yeah. some way, which as a viewer, when I was watching it, Blew my mind. Yeah. I was just like, I never, I didn't even see it coming. How, how could you? And which is why I was shocked when I'm, you know, I watched the OVA and then to learn that he, that's the only place Himiko appears. Yeah. Like what a waste right. Right. <laughs> of an amazing character. Yeah. Like, and a build up, And to, I want to know more about that. I do too. I think, I think a lot of, um, I, I highly recommend you watch it. If you watch it, you'll probably want to know too. I, I think... I think it's a waste that they didn't pursue that storyline, but instead they went off on the and the manga they on the bunny demon storyline. Yeah, that's mm, TV TV series. I we'll we'll have another one about the TV series, but which is radically different. Same creative team that did the OVAs ten years later. Ten years later, very different outcome, very different story, very different tone. In in my opinion, and, and we can get into a debate about that. But that's it. Overall, uh, it's one of my favorite animes. I highly, highly recommend anybody who gets a chance to check it out. It is available online um, for order. It's on DVD. It's short. It's four episodes, 23 minutes each yeah, or so. Yeah, and it's just Easy so... to watch. Really good for um, its creepiness factor. Yeah, great October viewing. Like, great for a Halloween yeah. party or whatever. And also just good drama. Just great drama get, gets you thinking, makes you wonder like what's what's happening in the world and and your and your relationships with people and stuff like that. And it's just good characters, good storytelling, great storytelling. I, I highly recommend it. Um, Zara, final final impressions. Um, well, I guess or any questions or anything. I don't know. Nah, no questions. I guess it made me well, coming away from this. It made me walk away with more questions than I had answers, which I love. Not always is that an effective strategy in a show, cough, cough, lost. But <laughs> for this show, I love coming away with these questions. And I, in a, even though, you know, I'm irritated that the Himiko character is not really explored further, I, I come away intrigued and wondering about her. And so that's, to me, the mark of good art and good horror, specifically, um, when you're left with questions and the characters kind of live on in your head and haunt you for days to come or or years in my case or years i, I, I literally i have been thinking about me in the back of my mind it's one of my it's one of my biggest influences as a, as a filmmaker just for decades for decades i've been like how could i accomplish something like me it's it's fascinating stuff anyway if you get a chance uh fantastic uh stuff i highly recommend you check it out uh, buy it rent it whatever you can um, get it. This is uh, it, it is available, and it's uh, available legally. So get it and check it out. And also, if you get a chance, check out Meltdown Comics, who is uh, you know providing us with this podcast, which is great. 
And uh, Zara, wh- where can we hear more of your glorious voice? Oh, you can uh, hear me at zarafuzzle.com. Um, what am I doing you right now that. currently? Z-E-H-R-A-F-A-Z-A-L dot com. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm currently working a bunch of commercial projects across the country. If you live in Arkansas or Texas, you might hear me regularly on your radio or TV. <laughs> um, yeah. You got to get me a sample. Oh, totally. I'll totally do it. But yeah, um, yeah, you're a phenomenal voice actress. You're a wonderful actress. Oh, so, thanks, you know, Mason. she's she's just rocking it out here in Hollywood. It's good times. Um, so yeah, check out our website and it's uh, you will be glad you did. And otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Thanks we'll for back, listening. Uh, yeah, we'll be back again next week for more uh, more anime attic stuff. Stay Bye. safe. Yeah. Avoid vampires. <laughs>So yeah, thanks for listening. Check out uh, Meltdown Comics, 7522 Sunset Boulevard. Big thanks to them for letting us record. And um, if you have any questions or comments, you can hit us up on Instagram at Anime Attic Love and Twitter at Anime Attic Love. And give us uh, some thoughts, some feedback, and any shows that you'd like us to do. Just hit us on up. So that's it. And thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.